When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hello we are back for the latest love tennis podcast i'm getting better at remembering to do some sort of introduction before my friends arrive who i can talk to so here they come hello calvin How's it going? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well. Good. I believe James is just about to join. Here he comes. Hello, James. Hello. I didn't even have to come up with some sort of paragraph this week. I literally just said, I'm waiting for my friends to arrive and you're both here. That's fantastic. You feel so not left out. I know, it's probably very good because I've I've rushed home to do this podcast here so I'm not breaking broadcasting rules on site at the ATP finals. So uh, yeah, I did wonder if you'd run into some uh, some issues there. Um, well, I'm, I'm very hot and sweaty, aren't I? You can probably see on Zoom I'm yeah. pretty uh, exhausted. I live up a very big hill, so I had to sprint up that so I wasn't right. too late. But I here mean, I am. I've been watching your video updates on Twitter all week, George, so I'm used to you looking less than fresh. Well, you, you, you messaged me the other day asking if I was under the weather. I think I've just aged since I've seen you, or at least. <laughs> that was a, a concerning sight. I'm not really doing anything exciting. No- November is an unflattering month for uh, <laughs> light, I'm sure. Um, let's crack on. I mean, it seems uh, I don't want to talk too much about exactly what's going on at the ATP Tour Finals right now, um, because that will change. And hopefully by the end of the podcast, we might have a result that we can talk about. Um, but Daniil Medvedev just taken the first set against Alexander Zverev. Um, I didn't see the double fault count, but I'm sure it's high. Um, but let's come back to that a little bit later on because there's other news from the week to catch up on. Um, Yannick Sinner becoming the youngest first-time winner on the ATP Tour since Kei Nishikori won at Delray Beach, of all places, uh, in 2008. Uh, he won the Sofia Open. Um, yeah, pretty good run. Have I got that wrong? Delray Beach. What about Delray Beach? Oh, so I'm so sorry. I thought it was around Nishikori. No, it's fine. I lost the plot. Okay. I lost the plot there. Do you know who he beat back then in 2008, just for fun? Oh, you're just trying to recover here and show that you do know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I thought you saw... John Isner. No. Calvin, any guesses? No idea. Absolutely not. Right nationality, James. Uh, Sam Query. James Blake. Yeah. James Blake. James Blake, really. I, I, I think I knew that rather than an actual guess. But anyway, but yes, Yannick Sinner has become the youngest guy since Kei Nishikori. Um, he's just turned 19. Kei Nishikori was 18. Uh, and he had a good run at the Sofia Open as well. Beat Alex de Manor, Adrian Manorino, and then Vasek Pospisil in the final. Uh, he's up to a career high of number 37 in the world. George, um, I've mentioned some of the guys he's beaten there. I mean, no massive names, but, you know, he had to work for it a bit. Yeah, I think, look, you have to look at every single kind of step within your kind of young career, don't you? I mean, like, Auger Aliassime, who we've spoken about a lot, has lost a lot of finals to people you might think he would kind of walk over. I think one of the ones was uh, Laszlo Ger, he lost to in Rio. 
Um, so to say, you know, Vasek Pospisil's not the world's greatest player, but he's an experienced player who knows what it's like to be in that sort of situation um, compared to Sinner. And for Sinner to come through and win deserves great credit. I mean, we've spoken about him a lot on this pod before. We all think he's going to be someone who's going to be the top-ranked guy in the world. He's got everything in his game to be a fabulous, fabulous player. Um, And, you know, it shouldn't be understated how important it is to get that first rung on the ladder, I think. Mm. And obviously it takes him up to 37. I mean, he, he is now in the realm, because I was looking at his kind of record... He doesn't have any points to defend um, in the run-up to the Australian Open because he played Auckland and so and um, Bendigo uh, last year and lost in the first round both times. So he could conceivably end up being a seed for the Australian Open if they are still doing thirty-two seeds. Well, uh, I mean, this is going to be something we'll come on to later about the Australian Open and the kind of pre-tournament plans and stuff, but that that, that is potentially more in jeopardy now. Than we than we okay. thought, um, but, but I, no, either way, but people aren't going to lose points as well, which makes it more difficult for him to to rise right. into that. So I don't think he'll be seeded, but still by next year's French Open, hopefully. Hmm. Um, I mean, and nevertheless, Calvin, we've talked about this with young players before. You know, there are various kind of bubbles. If you can forgive the use of the overused word of the week, um, which you can kind of burst. I mean, up to thirty-seven, that gets you into certain tournaments at certain stages as well, doesn't it? Yeah, and uh, it's sort of been a bit strange in that respect, hasn't it? Because there was a period sort of up until about seven or eight years ago where a lot of teenagers would come through, break through and be winning. Um, Not necessarily teenagers, but uh, guys sort of between the age of 18 to 21 would win a lot of um, ATP titles. But as as has been mentioned quite a bit, the, the average age of the top 100 has gone up. So mm. it's sort of quite strange. Not it's, it's quite different to see a player still in his teens coming through and winning this. It's mm. not like like it would have been in, I guess, around about sort of two thousand and three, four. This sort of thing tended to happen semi regularly. Mm. Um, but um, but also I think something else I was thinking. I'm just going a bit off off topic there. Was that Italy are gonna Italy are gonna have a pretty good Davis Cup team um, <laughs> in the next in the next four to five years? I'd say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's worth pointing out in the uh, the teenage world rankings, Yannick Sinner is the teenage world number one, and Lorenzo Massetti is the teenage world number two. Um, yeah. But he is a whole 90 places below him. So, yeah, as you correctly say there, it's rarer and rarer for guys of that age to kind of start making their way through. Um, but it's still a, it's been a great run for him at the end of this year, and I think that's a, a, a bit of a milestone. We might remember that Sophia Open. Um, yeah. It was quite funny, actually. I saw John Millman tweeting, um, pod favourite John Millman, uh, about all the uh, first-time ATP Tour champions in 2020. And they are Ugo Umber, Casper Rudd, um, Tiago... Oh, I can't remember his name. Tiago Beirut, because his Twitter handle is different. Seb- Sebeth Wild. Thank you very much. Um, Miamir Kasmanovic, uh, Yannick Sinner, and John Millman, which, if you look at their ages, is 21, 21, 19, 21, 31. Uh, to quote him, I hate the next gen. Um, yeah, so it sounds like you can break through in your thirties, which you know is good news for the likes of Dan Evans still hanging on for his first ATP Tour title, despite a few near misses. Um, there was also a title less impressively, I would kind of hesitantly, but probably fairly accurately say, uh, for Arena Sabalenka, um, the uh, WTA final tournament down in Linz in Austria. Which, uh, I mean, George, you kind of mentioned it earlier, it wasn't a great-looking field, which is disappointing because, it, you know, it's obviously the last tournament and they didn't have their tour finals. Um, I know there were one or two upsets early on to a few decent players who were there, and you get Stremska and the like, which going out quite early. Um, is it as simple as a lot of players have looked at the, the way the schedule mapped out and have gone, oh, I might as well start in pre-season now? Yeah, exactly. I think if you... Again, I hesitate to say a lot of this stuff given the kind of uncertainties with the Australian summer, but everyone is at the minute expecting to leave around the 14th of December. That's when you kind of need to be heading to Australia to then have a two-week quarantine if you're then starting this season that's going to go. So it's quite an early start compared to other years. 
And if you would want, what, two, three weeks off in an off-season and then maybe a three-week pre-season? Yeah, and, like, how many points is Lintz? Not, not like, enough to really get yourself up and excited for it. So I, th- I think it's good for her to go out. You know, we mentioned her the other week on the pod. I think that's back-to-back titles for her now. Um, she's someone who, as I said before, I think underachieved a bit. I think she's got a lot more that she can go on and do. She's still young, uh, but she's someone who's kind of fallen out of the picture when I think a couple of years ago, she was someone we were all looking at alongside Osaka as being quite an exciting talent. Um, so it, it's good to see her coming up and winning these titles. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think we can only be encouraged, even if it's not necessarily the strongest opposition. She beat the second seed in the final, didn't she, Elise Merton? So it's not a bad win. Um, and as we always say with finals, you're 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 going to play someone who has been winning all week as well. So you know it, it's it's sometimes misleading to say well they only beat them. But yeah, as you say, Merton's a, a decent opposition, if not the uh, the tournament we might have been hoping for. But probably with the loss of the WTA finals, that's that's kind of um, that's what happens. Um, speaking of losing tennis, uh, Calvin, you've just got back from from Greece. You're telling us about your uh, your delightful journey back from uh, Crete last night. Um, yeah, I think you described it in in the WhatsApp group as one of the most remarkable weeks of tennis you can really remember experiencing. I mean, set the scene for us. <laughs> Where does it all start? Yeah, so I was there for two weeks in Crete. Uh, the first week passed without any serious event um towards the end of week one there was a a big rumor that tennis was going to be called off again um other than the atp finals that they were going to cancel all futures tournaments to the extent where i would say at one stage it was probably sort of looking like 70 30 in in the likelihood that it would get cancelled um a couple of brits actually left when they got knocked out of the first week who were planning on being there for the full five weeks um, they left thinking it, it definitely would get cancelled. Um, as it happened, it, it never that it didn't. And because you, I, I must sort of stress as well that Greece, Greece went into lockdown at the end of that week as well, which was kind of pushing it towards this. This is what we thought. And, and Greece's lockdown, as it happens, is quite a bit more serious, uh, more strict than we have. Um, they have a curfew of nine p.m. Um, no one, you're not allowed to go anywhere in groups of more than two people. You have to wear a mask at all times, etc., etc. But that's by the by. So um, as it happens, they say that um, national, international level sport is going to continue. So the tournaments carried on. That was the end of the first week I was there. So the second week started um, on Sunday. Sunday and Monday passed without any major events um and then on tuesday or maybe it was on monday monday or tuesday i forget which day it was um it started raining um the night before um and we sort of didn't think much it was just a bit of rain although quite heavy it should be Um, pointed out because I, i have a lot of family who live in greece that even a little bit of rain in Greece is a problem because no one knows what to do. They can't drive, they can't walk, they can't function. Yeah, yeah. But I imagine what followed was significantly more. Significantly yeah, so then, so then in the middle of the night, um, I was awoken a couple of times by thunder, which genuinely sounded like an explosion, like something, <laughs> um, something had blown up. Um, Managed to get back to sleep, and then at six o'clock the next morning, we were staying in an apartment, myself and um, the lad who I was coaching, Luke. Um, six o'clock, Luke sort of shouted at me from his bedroom to look outside, and it was evident that it was flooded, um, and it was still raining heavily. Um, as things progressed over the next couple of hours, um, the most astonishing flooding scenes I've ever witnessed. Um, you can catch the videos on my Twitter um page but water was literally flowing down maybe i'd say maybe four to five feet off the ground down the street which we were staying in um we then got pictures sent of the tennis center which was about tennis centers maybe half a mile away from Mm. where we were staying um the tennis courts were getting washed away the the clay courts that the women's event were on literally just washed in full the 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 fences that's around the court had gone there was a, ra- a paddle court. The paddle court was literally washed away. Basketball court gone. 
Um, the men's event was on a on acrylic hard courts, and basically the water had got underneath the acrylic hard courts on some of the courts and formed a huge bubble, an air bubble <laughs> under the courts. So they were gone, um, and then that sort of went on for the full day. We couldn't leave the apartment for the full day. We were on the second floor, so it didn't actually come in our apartment. Um, I had the same meal. Um, for all three meals i had some salami and some cheese in the fridge and i had that for <laughs> breakfast lunch and dinner i mean um, that, that that sounds all right i basically eat that most meals anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. and anyone who knows me would know the trauma i went through because i couldn't get a can of coke that day either um, so that was that was a real real problem for me um and then you know it was then looking like we were sort of thinking right these are going to be off now um we're gonna have to try and find a way out of here um, the street was destroyed that we were on. There's a picture, again, there's a picture on my Twitter account of the street the next day, and it, it, it sort of destroyed the street. There were there were cars in the sea. Um, a German lad who got there, he was telling us um, a couple of days ago that he got there on, um, I think he got there on the night before he flew in when it was raining. He picked his hire car up from the airport at 10 to midnight, he got to the tennis. He got to the apartments at twenty past midnight. Parked his car outside, and he woke up at five a.m. and his car was in the sea. <laughs> uh, um, I hope he got so, the extra insurance. Well, that's what we were talking about. Did he pay the extra five euros for the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the extra insurance? Um, so we thought it's all done. We were sort of looking a way out. The next day, we woke up. It had stopped raining. A lot of the water had gone. And Luke shouted at me at about eight in the morning that there was an order of play for that day. <laughs> um, what sport were they planning on playing? <laughs> well, remarkably, so we turn up there and they've got they've got about sixteen tennis courts at the tennis centre, um, and eight of them had gone. Eight of them had been completely washed away. There, wow. there are some though on like on a sort of if I can't describe it, a bit of a higher footing. Um, yeah. They're not so downstream. And they, the, the men's hard courts, they've got three men's hard courts that were just wet. And once it dried, they, they said they were going to go ahead. So the order of play goes, everyone's turned up there. Sort of two thirds of the sort of, um, the venue has completely gone. It's completely structured. Um, but they say they're going to crack on. Then the problem comes that they've realised, they've not even thought about this at this stage, that the tennis um, club where the referee works, it's quite a modern, a big modern building, but the referee operates, the tournament operates from the basement. Um, and the basement was under about five foot of water. Um, and remarkably, no one had thought of this before, but all the balls were in the basement. <laughs> Obviously in sealed cans. <laughs> But they eventually, it was quite a scene, they eventually had to send somebody down there to get the balls. And it was like, if anybody's seen Chernobyl, when they send the miners underneath, um, it was scenes like that, to try and send somebody down to get the cans of balls um, from underwater, literally from underwater. Um, <laughs> and they got him and... Titanic when he's trying to get, like, trying oh, to get the door yeah. open. Love it. Yeah, oh, very much, God. very much. Um and remarkably, end of the day, long story short, we lost one day of tennis. Um, <laughs> we were back on. It had a couple of little hold-on effects, like the doubles were still getting finished today from last week. They did, they ran out of time a bit, but they only lost one day of tennis in total. Um, singles got finished on time. Um, so, yeah, unbelievable scenes. Um, I, I was going to say... I've loved the videos Calvin sent through this week. There's a really, really good one of Petros Sissipas where he's stood yeah. where the baseline should be on court. And obviously you can see the net and obviously the entire thing's bloody flooded. <laughs> and he's he's serving. And it's kind of like that John Rahm, I don't know if you've seen this kind of world number yeah. one shot this it's, week where he yeah. skimmed it across. <laughs> like, yeah. Petros Sissipas hits it over the net it skims off the water and into the back fence. And it, it's just an astonishing I mean, I, kind of I video. Don't, I don't have the statistics about that, but I hear it might be Petros Sissipas' first ace of 2020. Um, <laughs> well, but, uh, well, he actually knocked it, out the top. He had a very... Wi- he, oh. 
What? On home he, soil. He, he, got, he, got, he got his bog standard wild card, um, drew the top seed and beat him. His caption was quite amusing in terms of uh, he, he serves this into the water and he's written in or out. <laughs> yeah, which I, which I enjoyed. The, the court that <laughs> he was on, which is actually the court named after his brother, is the the, the Stefano Sitsipas Centre Court at, at right. the centre. Uh, that was actually one of the ones that was just flooded. That was sort of quite a bit away from where the absolute carnage was taking place. Um, so yeah, that was it, it, it. That was more like a swimming pool because it's got a sort of it's got a stadium around it. Right. Um, and the water just sort of filled up. That was just from the rain, really, rather than the actual mess that, that everything else came from. I mean, I, I, it's not completely related, but it's strange that this is also, incidentally, the venue at which Stefano Sissipas was playing when he was on the Futures Tour. And on a day off, he went swimming and nearly drowned. Um, and he kind of cites it as something that gave him this completely fearless attitude on court. Like, it's part of his origin story. So clearly, if you want some odd experiences with water, um, maybe Crete and, you know, like Challenger or Future Level Tennis Tournaments are the place to be. Uh, very cool. Well, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's like, as I said, actually, before I left yesterday, I said to Luke, like, what a week we, we've, we've had. Because in the middle of that as well, when Luke played, he won a match, uh, a qualifying match, 14-12 um, in a final set tiebreak, um, having saved five match points and winning it on his first um, so that was quite eventful. That match was played across two days as well uh, because of the light. And as I said to him yesterday before I left, that like it's amazing that that he hadn't played his first round of qualies seven days ago when I mm. left. It felt like about we. It felt like a month or six weeks, and it was a week. And he had. I mean, he, he's been on a decent run. I note from the world rankings that he's he's shimmied his way up higher than he has been before so he's, he's been doing okay so from yeah. a tennis perspective it must have been a decent couple of weeks for you yeah he had um he had a, a de- he had a decent trip it, it was strange because he played two matches across two days which yeah. is always always awkward um and um he actually played one of the lads we spoke about last week uh Calavalonis, um who's the greek number three i think mm. um and he played doubles with the Greek number two, who um, actually uh, had to retire in the doubles today. He's hurt his back, uh, which right. is a bit, bit, un- bit unlucky for Luke. So the two of the three weeks he's been there so far, his double and Luke's a pretty good doubles player. If anyone knows him, um, his doubles partner in two of the weeks have had to retire, uh, yeah. two separate partners as well. And he said that's <laughs> never happened to him before. Um, so that is unfortunate. Well, it sounds like a, I mean, not a trip without event anyway. Um, let's no. move on um, because there are well, there is the prospect potentially uh, of another trip for everyone. As George mentioned earlier, December the fourteenth seems to be the kind of deadline for everyone to get into Australia and quarantine in time for the Australian swing. But George, I mean, I know it's a volatile world at the best of times at the moment. But you've been saying that it is kind of under threat. Maybe you could talk us through the kind of news lines on this. Yeah, I mean. I wouldn't 100% say there's serious problems. We've gone from basically Craig Tiley, who's the Australian Open Tournament Director, uh, Tennis Australia CEO, saying, this is his quote, there is now no risk of the Australian Open going ahead without everyone in Victoria. And we didn't have that guarantee previously. And then a day later... There's a lot of negatives going on there. So I I know it's a weird quote, but what he's essentially saying is, there's no risk of the Australian Open going ahead without every singing there. So he was right. saying, you know, one of their scenarios was that it was going to be like a reduced Australian Open in terms of numbers of players who could go. So in terms of maybe not like the mixed doubles or Pat Can winning off the wheelchair event. It's but they always put it So he could have just said everyone will be here. He could have just said that. <laughs> Just this, is, this is like when the Trump team were asked if they had any observers in the room and they said non-zero. there is a non-zero number of observers in this room. <laughs> Look, don't shoot the messenger for the verbatim quote. I'm here to bring you accuracy, if nothing else. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that that was kind of put out. Very confusing with the Australian time zone. 
So I, I'm not exactly sure of the You gap. don't know which day it was. But it was pretty much within the next 24 hours after he's made that quote. The Mir, um, which is essentially the guy who runs that entire state in Australia in terms of, if people aren't aware what that kind of... The, the governor, I think, maybe Governor was kind yeah. of similar, yeah. Um, basically has come out and said, well, actually, this is certainly not tied up in a bow, he says, or mm. with a bow. Um, it's definitely not a done deal. And kind of compared the Australian Open to the Boxing Day test match um, in terms of the volume of people they're bringing over. So they're trying to get all these sporting events on. And mm. from their perspective, you know, two teams coming over to play cricket, you'd imagine that's, okay, you've got 30 players and then maybe 20 support staff on each team. You're looking at about 70 people, possibly. Yeah. But at least it's under 100, you'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. That whole Whereas experience. Tennis is four or five times that. Well, tennis, you're looking at about 500 players alone plus their entourages or whatever. It was so, about 1,000 on site at the French, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's a huge number. And they've been saying at the minute that they were going to have like journalists coming over and stuff as well. And the further issue to that is that it's not just the case that it's going to be, okay, just coming for the Australian Open. It's coming for an entire month because there's state-to-state -state travel restrictions. So a lot okay. of my mates live in Australia, so I've got a mate who lives in Brisbane and a mate who lives up near Harvey Bay. They're not allowed outside of their state. So the Australian Open has kind of said, right, well, normally we have all these tennis events in Sydney, in Brisbane, in Adelaide or whatever the ATP Cup that moves through Perth and everywhere else. And they're trying to bring them all in to Victoria to run these events. So you're really extending the period everyone's staying, but also kind of increasing the numbers that's coming very quickly. Mm. And on top of that, you've got all these people from Australia who can't get back. I, I don't know the exact regulations now, but certainly back in September, they were only allowing like 4,000 Australian nationals in a week um, as a kind of regulation to come back. So they're because they're putting everyone in these hotels to stay in when they come back. So they're controlling everything that comes in and they've tracked some of the people who've come in to having coronavirus outbreaks in certain places in Australia. So they're really, really on it. So the idea of bringing in, let's be honest, it's going to be like a thousand people. Yeah for a tennis event which will probably not go down that well with all these people hoping to get their family members <laughs> yeah it's not around very christmas well. it's not a great look and, and, and you, know, you don't even really have the that usually you could kind of play off the economic angle and say look it's going to bring money in but it's not is it really well well it probably will bring in money in the sense that they're going to allow everyone in victoria so there will be some they're, they're planning on running it fully crowded in Victoria, because oh, they're all Sorry, crowded. I didn't realise, so we've got full fans in here. I, I'd imagine so, because there's not... I mean, I don't know 100%, but the, that's the best scenario they're looking for, where it's going to be no fans outside of Victoria, but fully crowded in Australia, with the quarantine yeah. being here. But you have to remember as well that the quarantine period they're after for the tennis players is that they're not only just locked in their room. You might have seen a video with Darren Cahill, who's um, worked with Simone Halep for a long time. Um, he was showing himself in a Australian hotel room where he was locked up playing, uh, doing some putting practice across his hotel room. Mm. But, but they're not just after that. They're after a regulation that allows them outside their hotel room to then go onto tennis courts and practice because that's yeah. what the players are keen on. Um, so originally because, they were looking Because if, if you were to go to Australia, I'm sorry to cross you, if you right. go to Australia... Uh, as a player on 14th of December and not be able to practice for two weeks. I mean, Calvin, that, you know, in terms of preparation, I mean, two weeks without hitting a ball, how oh. serious, I mean, it sets you back months, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, the players wouldn't, uh, they'd, they'd struggle um, in a big way. Um, mm. And what, particularly, you know, what, what you'd find is the players who are, say, the sort of less naturally gifted players, would, would struggle more. What you find mm. with the, the sort of naturally, the real natural sort of talents, they can have two or three weeks off and come back and they're striking the ball clean. But just a physical element of it as well, you know, there's only so much sort of physical training you can do. And um, it, yeah, I, I think they've got to find a way around that. I can't see how mm. that's feasible, really. 
No, I mean, yeah, I would suggest, I would be with you there. I would suggest that if they have a two-week quarantine rule where you're not allowed to leave the hotel room full stop, it's a, it's a non-starter. I, I mean, can you imagine, you know, the more highly strung top 10 players in the world tolerating that? I mean, absolutely not. So, but um, as well, sort of another thing that I think sort of doesn't get mentioned on, on this kind of thing, which I learned last week, was that it won't really affect the top sort of top thirty players, that kind of thing. But um, the lad who was the Greek number two, who uh, he was saying he was going to go out there for the ATP Cup, he is going out there for the ATP Cup. But he was saying that they've stuck the fr- the, the flight prices have gone through the roof. So oh, he's really? paying. He's paying. I think he said three thousand eight hundred euros for a flight to australia so that's meant he said it means that he can't take a coach can't afford to take a coach on that um wow so i would think that that would that is going to have a serious effect on a lot of those players outside of uh the ones who don't really have to consider money um mm. when paying for that kind of thing wow and, and just to kind of say in terms of where this might go because at the minute it's obviously a very fluid situation where you've clearly got the government saying uh, we're off on this. So there's likely to be some compromises, but where it might affect the top players. When... Uh, oh, George, you've gone. George, 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 I don't know what's happened there. You've just, uh, you, you just uh, blanked. Can you hear me again something. now? Yeah, I yeah. can no. hear you again. So you're saying where it might... Yeah, 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 I can hear you. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so, sorry, you were saying where it I was might just saying where, where it might come to a bit of a head for the top players if, if you think back to where Novak, before the US Open, was saying, well, I can't possibly travel with just one person. And you're yes. looking for a compromise between a government. And the, and the Australians are real sticklers for the rules. I, I think a lot of people view Australians as this very laid-back country. <laughs> and the people who live there are. But actually, the people who run it, like there's very strict border control, a lot of regulations at the Australian Open. It's, it's quite a kind of a serious state for the rules. So if they start suddenly saying, right, you can only come in, but you're bringing one person maximum, be interesting to see the stance of someone like Djokovic, particularly, and I mean this for Federer especially, if they're coming on the 14th of December and you're asking him to come over without his wife and kids for Christmas, is a 39-year-old Roger Federer going to turn up and say, yeah, well, screw my family, I'm going to go out there. I mean, I I don't think that's going to happen. And if mm. you start losing these top guys for this event, that becomes a serious, serious problem in terms of selling tickets. So, that, you know, it's, it's quite a serious situation, I'd say, for Australia at the minute. I mean, who are the, the sort of players resolving this? And I don't mean tennis players. I mean, who are the, like, who is on the negotiation committee for this? I mean, well, presumably Novak Djokovic is the self-appointed leader of the tennis world. <laughs> well, well, Novak was praising Craig Tiley, who, you know, Tiley's the the guy who will be mainly in charge of this entirely is loved by the players for his kind of openness. And I've spoken to Tylee quite a few times before. He's someone I've occasionally texted and he'll kind of reply and say, uh, hello. Yeah. Nice to hear from you. No, no, no. He's very charming is what I'm saying. Like he's, he's a proper promoter. He's a bit of a kind of Eddie Hearn, Frank Warren figure in tennis. And, you know, I remember him and Chris Commode having a big kind of pitch about how tennis needs to move away from this kind of, you know, rigid calendar and let a few promoters run wild and sell everything properly and kind of really, you know, glam up the game. That That's mm. where Tylee comes in. So he's very forthcoming when you want a quote or a comment. You know, he'll happily go on the phone with you. Yeah. But they weren't going on the phone about this. Right. Let's put it that way. Like I, I think this is quite serious. And it's gone yes. from a, a gone from a stance where it's been this is definitely happening and no problem to a real setback this week. Mm. I mean, yeah, that usually suggests bad news when people clam up because they haven't got anything good to say. Um, I'm not sure how much more there is to add on that, but one thing that Calvin mentioned earlier, and it would be good to talk about, is. The ATP Cup, which you've mentioned there, which is one of the tournaments on this swing. Um, Calvin, you're saying you seems up in the air who's going to captain the GB side because Henman's basically said he won't do it. I can't believe you're not letting me run my exclusive there, James. I'm the person who pretty broke that. 
That's disgraceful. Oh, that's, so, so, I'm really that's sorry disgraceful. I'm literally well, the person I, who brought you that news, and you've not gone to me first. That is if I, shameful. If, if, I, if I'm honest, George, <laughs> if I'm honest, George, it was Calvin who brought me that news. So that's why I was trying to. Well, hit Calvin him. presumably got it through my. Yeah, I got I, I got it through <laughs> Jobber on Twitter. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, um, once we've signposted this as George's story, well, George, you know what? Give me your story, <laughs> and then Calvin, you can give us the real lowdown on it. No, I mean to be honest, there's, there's no great story beyond I was chatting to him this week, and was probably the only person to think ahead and think, "Oh, you're the ATP Cup captain. Are you going to do that?" And it was a flat no. I'm not for the quarantine. I, I think people who know Tim know he doesn't particularly like the travelling at the best of times and has kind of reluctantly come back into the punditry scene. Um, I wouldn't like to say exactly why he's, he's come back <laughs> in. But, um, you know, he, he, he's certainly not about having two weeks sat in a hotel for that. So he, he said he's not doing it. But, yeah, in terms of the ATP Cup itself, there's been a lot of talk about it being a reduced uh, number of teams. So Djokovic said today it was down to eight. I'd previously heard about ten. Um my guess probably is it's not going to happen um, right now. But I mean, mm. I, that, that was no official source. It's just, I think it's a logistical nightmare when you have to select a number of teams and a number of players qualifying. I think you're better off just saying, we're going to put on a 250, and if you want to play, you come and play, rather than trying and negotiate by countries. I, I think that's something too difficult, particularly with the mm. latest difficulties. But I might be wrong, but... If, if it does go ahead, Calvin, who would you like to see be captain? Um, it's a difficult one, I think. Because when you sort of, um, you know, Hemman said that he's not going to do it for family reasons, which is entirely understandable. Um, but most of the guys who you would think uh, could do it or usually do that kind of thing have also got families a similar age to, to Tim. And he's kind of put a bit of pressure on them there, hasn't he, by saying I'm, I'm not willing to leave the wife and kids uh, for, for a couple of months. Um, are you? Um, so I, I don't I, I don't have a sort of name, if I'm honest. I've not heard anything. So it'll be interesting to see what does happen um, if it does go ahead. But like you say, it might not. I wonder whether, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe Murray will sort of play a captain it or something like that. Um, would would kind of make sense. Um, I, I honestly can't think of anybody who, off the top of my head, who would do it who doesn't have a young family. Jeremy Bates is the only one I can think of, off of just off the top of my head because um, I think his family are growing up on it. Yeah, probably so, but I don't think he has any. He's had no involvement with the men's team, uh, with the men's players, the male players. For some time, I'd, I'd, I don't, I wouldn't imagine that would happen. Um, George, George, throw a name at me then. Well, I was actually just going to say on Calvin's point about Murray, it, it is worth saying that a lot of the countries last year did just have player captains, so it's not right. beyond the realms of possibility that just a player will do it. Um, mm-hmm. I, again, I, I'm not really sure of the logistics of that tournament. I think, <laughs> you know, in terms of trying to take an external captain to an event that you don't know if you've qualified for because you don't know how many teams are playing. I mean, did Britain, Britain presumably naturally the semi-finals last year? I can't remember now. Yeah, was semis, it quarterfinals? Yeah. It was semis, semis wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. so I think semis gets you straight in. Um, certainly does with Davis Cup. Um, but it, it's a difficult thing to pre-plan ahead with this caption for this thing, go through this whole visa process, but we may not need you because the whole thing could be binned off. I suspect we might just, as you say, Murray probably makes sense as a candidate. There's someone who will be going there who could just... Is, is Murray definitely going, have we heard that? Because, again, he's got a pretty young family and it's probably looking at two months. Um, he's going to be there, isn't it? Or six weeks. I'd be very... Be I mean, speaking with absolutely no knowledge of the situation other than what a lot of other people know, I'd be very surprised if he didn't. I feel like yeah, he is so. in, he's in a, a like a space george you're making a face that's maybe because you know something that you're not supposed to know and that we're not supposed to know but that's my guess anyway i, I was actually making a face because i completely lost my signal for a second and just had you all going <laughs> so I, I didn't hear <laughs> hear what you said but i presume you're asking if murray's going to be going to australia full stop yeah sure yes in short yeah um so 
again, last thing I heard was yes. Um, and again, this is a bit more, I suppose, third hand through Tim, chatting to him this week, who'd spoken to Delgado on Tuesday or Wednesday, saying that they're working on a six, seven week program for him to go. So I, I, I think the intention is very much to go. I suspect, mm. I think he will go. I mean, it, it, it as I say, it, it's a very kind of fluid situation. I'm expecting it all to go ahead, but there's always a great caveat with this COVID situation. You never quite know how yeah. it's going to pan out. Um, I suspect they'll get something on. I think they'll get the Australian Open on one way or another, and I'd expect Murray to be there, yeah. So. Mm. Terrific. Um, let's move on, because in a very timely fashion, uh, Daniil Medvedev has just beaten Alexander Zverev in straight sets. 6-3, 6-4, just under an hour and a half. Um, I have to say, of that hour and a half, about 45 minutes with the first six games of the first set. It was a, a gruelling <laughs> encounter. Two blokes who don't mind rallying and who find it quite difficult to hold serve. Um, I just checked the double fault count. It was seven uh, for Alexander Vera, which actually isn't too bad over two sets, quite frankly. Six, right, in, the set, six in the first set. So okay. that one pretty good. <laughs> it got better. Um, Georgia, I don't know who you picked for that match, but uh, I don't suppose... It was. A, I was seeing a lot of people saying it was a bit of a toss-up, but I mean, I was quite confident Medvedev would beat him. I think the only prediction I went for on that one was a three-setter. But you've reminded me, James, that I had a very, very good prediction earlier for today. Did you? Um, I did. I did. I, I had to even tweet this because I was delighted with myself. So right. I, I'll admit, I got the set scores the wrong way around. So I predicted... Djokovic would beat Schwartzman 6-2, 6-3 in an hour and 18 minutes. And it was 6-3, 6-2 in an hour and 18 minutes. Uh, I mean, that is is pretty good. That's a great effort to get the time. Uh, (laughs) Credit for that. I mean, it's a shame you can't bet on... Well, of course, there is no betting in tennis. Um, As as well known, George, zero betting. No one's ever bet on tennis. That never happens. No one's ever done that. Um, Yeah, but that sort of concludes the first round of games. Um, in the ATP Tour Finals, uh, without many great surprises. But I suppose this isn't a great surprise either, George. Every headline I've seen, um, presumably because you all sat together and chatted about it, um, was about how flat the atmosphere was, which which isn't actually a surprise, given there aren't any fans in there. Yeah, I mean, this is... I think it's something I found really interesting, because I I guess we've all got really used to watching tennis um, from home and not thinking, oh, this is a huge issue, they're not being fans there now, or at least we've got to the point where we've got so used to it. But going inside a stadium to watch it, having nothing punctuated by fans applauding, and it's kind of even worse that certainly the the team Sissipas match, which was the one I wrote about on this, um, you had one bloke in team's team just clapping and no one else was. So every time team (laughs) went a point, the first point of the match, team springs out wide, hits his glorious backhand down the line winner on the stretch you get one bloke at the back going (laughs) are you serious (laughs) (laughs) uh, and the weird thing is like it it, you kind of make the reference like oh it's a man and his dog turning up but there's people in there they're just not allowed to clap (laughs) they're just not it's the wrong kind of vibe to clap Um, so yeah it is horrible to be honest like my last um, live tennis event was at the Fed Cup um, in Bratislava. And that that was properly raucous. Uh, yeah. Really good Slovakian. You've got your travelling Brits coming around. you know, And that's kind of what I always describe as like League One tennis in terms of quality. But yeah. everyone's up for it and you really notice the crowd there. So to kind of, kind of arrive to what you'd call Champions League tennis and have no one there making any atmosphere. It just feels completely hollow, I feel. Um, I should say, though, and I don't know how maybe you would agree or disagree with this, Calvin, but from having watched it on the, the BBC coverage and the Amazon coverage with, you know, the sort of artificial crowd noise, uh, again, just as it was for, with the football for me, after about three points, I sort of stopped noticing and it just felt like a normal tennis match again. I don't know about you, Calvin. Yeah, the, the one thing I find strange and it's, <laughs> is how they sort of seem to still be cracking on, like as if there are crowds there, like they're lighting up the courts and they've got <laughs> music on at the change of ends. And 
I, I don't want to sound like a sort of grumpus, but it's like, why? What's the point? <laughs> you know, like, who, who are you trying to rile up here? I don't... Um, but I think especially at the O2, I actually enjoy the O2. I, I, I prefer going there to Wimbledon, because I think the, the crowds are hugely important there. It's, it's very sort of accessible. They have the practice courts that people can go and get right next to. Um, and I think it's just such a shame that they've not managed to, to end it um, as they would have liked to, really. Yeah, I was, I was going to say on that point, I mean, the the big disappointment is like comparing this event to previous years and knowing it's not coming back next year. I think that really adds yeah. to the kind of disappointment. Yeah. Like every other event, you're kind of like, all right, there's probably a decent chance we'll get at least 40, 50% of that crowd in next year, barring a complete disaster. And this mm. is like, well, th- this is gone now. And this has been such a successful event. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that adds to the kind of disappointment. Um, I had another thing I was going to say that has completely popped out of my mind, which well, that's all right. is going to be a really pertinent point. It was going to be wonderful. Uh, okay. but well, that's the first time. If it comes back to me, I'll wave at you frantically and oh, please do, say yeah, it again. That'd be great. Um, yeah, it's oh, oh no, no, music. I've remembered. I've remembered. It was, it was Calvin <laughs> complaining about the music. Yeah. They've, turned, they've turned the music down. So, and more annoyingly, and James, you'll know this from being at the ATP finals. So when you you sit down there in the stands and they, at the end of the match, they do the encore interview. Yeah. Normally in the media seats, you have people, fans just like walk across your knees to get out the way of the laptops and stuff. It's an absolute bloody nightmare to kind of listen to what they're saying and take it down. So quite often you'll just leave when you predict the match will roughly end five games before. So you can hear the quick encore reaction. So you don't know when they're coming into press you exactly. might need like some quotes quickly. So this year I was thinking, this is fantastic. I'm going to have none of this nonsense where I have to deal with people moving past my knees and pouring coffee, take on it you, all yeah. down. They've turned the bloody sound down. I can't hear a word they're saying. <laughs> they're, they're only doing the microphones through the TV. So you can see them doing this bloody interview and none of us can hear what they're doing. So they're not blaring it around the stadium. So when you're saying it's loud and noisy, it's all very muted inside, which again, I, I suppose makes us in there feel like it's a really, really weird and kind of warped event that probably doesn't quite translate to television. I've been having people telling me off on Twitter for saying it all seems very flat and rubbish, but perhaps yes, my because you're in the privileged of 55 people who are actually in there, or 77, as I think you said it was on Twitter. 77 is what I quote. But, but yeah, I'm just saying, in, in terms of a watching, a viewing experience, you're actually probably getting the better of it watching on TV than being in that environment. Have you been able to, and this is what I thought the one advantage would be, have you been able to like pick up more of what's going on in, on court in terms of players or coaches or anything like that? No, not at all. Really? Because you're it, so far it, back or just... Well, so we are, we're in the same sort of section, but slightly further back so you know they have their, those kind of bar stools at the back where the photographers are yeah that's where we're kind of sat around but so that's sort of um for people who haven't been it's kind of top of the ground floor tier yeah, top of the like. bottom if you come tier. in any any sort of normal stadium or arena if you come in and then have to walk down it's as you come into those vomitoria um yeah, yeah i mean that is quite far back yeah and to be fair I, I, again, I don't know how this comes across on TV because I've not really watched any of the TV coverage. But you can't hear anything. No one seems to be saying much on court. It seems quite—I don't know. Like they, they keep talking about how they find it exhausting trying to like pump themselves up. I think mm. it's probably more of an issue for guys who've been there a lot in the past, where they know, as Calvin was saying, like there's a serious atmosphere there normally. Like, yeah, yeah. even stuff like with Djokovic. Like I remember quite. Uh, vividly last year there's a Federer fan in their match up in like one of the hospitality boxes who clearly had a few beers just screaming down at Novak during the match and it creates a kind of extra atmosphere that kind of enclosed uh, pit of excitement but there's just none of that and Mm. yeah it'll be interesting I think the tennis is good but I think it's better from afar than being there to be honest yeah you say the tennis is good I mean we've not had any Classics. Um, I mean, I know team and Tsitsipas went to three sets, which is obviously advantageous, but 
you know, Nadal kind of pushed Rublev aside relatively routinely. Similarly, Djokovic, Schwartzman. I mean, I saw Djokovic saying that Schwartzman, he didn't think Schwartzman played his best. I always think it's a bit presumptuous when a player says, oh, no, he didn't play very well. Um, but do you think so, George? Well, I was going to say, I, I was told off on Twitter earlier for saying that I thought it had been a fairly uneventful first set. And people were like, are you watching the same thing? I'm like, well from what I'm watching is the same thing I was expecting before this match where Sportsman is playing a few decent points but ultimately it's like a flyweight against a heavyweight isn't it I mean the, the well, two I mean, of them Novak is just a way better Schwartzman isn't it I suspect that that did that come from Djokovic fans the uh, <laughs> the, the, the Donald Trump supporters of the tennis world <laughs> uh, if, if, you, if you will uh, um, yeah it, it's I'll tell you one thing that I, I found strange and I don't know why I find this strange that they're still going with the sort of afternoon session and evening session with one singles, one doubles. Because the reason why they do that is to, so they can get double the ticket money in. But there's no doesn't sort of kind of make much sense now, does it? Doing it this way, they might as well just play it all sort of start it up late afternoon and just go through. Yeah, they probably um, should just start at five o'clock and go through. No, George. Yeah, well, I was going to say, we were having a bit of a conversation earlier. I haven't actually looked at what the schedule and the time is tomorrow, but normally the the better matches are going on at, in the evening because the crowd yeah. dictates that. But the BBC have quite a lot of sway at this tournament and they only show the lunchtime matches. So I was wondering whether this year there might be a bit more of a lean of, like, say, a Nadal team being chucked at lunchtime rather than dinner. I, su- I suspect that hasn't happened, but given there's no crowd this year, I was wondering if the TV dynamic might change as well. I'm just trying to find you in order of play, George, for tomorrow, but in the brief yeah. time allowed, I haven't been able to. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can see that that would be interesting as well. Um, now that we've all seen or got an idea of the groups, I mean, I know that Djokovic and Nadal are, are obviously going to probably win their groups, which incidentally, I hate the names. Group Tokyo, I don't think 19, that at all. And group, uh, you, sorry, you don't think Nadal and Djokovic are going to walk the group? No, I don't at all. I think Nadal could go out of his group quite easily. You think he could lose to Team Antitipas? Possibly. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think that's a foregone collision. I think Team beats him tomorrow. He didn't play badly against Rublev, though. Doesn't, but I, I don't see why Team would fear him on a hard court. He beat him in Australia. I, th- I, I certainly don't think that's Being massively in one's favour or the other. No, team beat him here last year. He beat Djokovic and he beat Federer last year. I don't think he beat Nadal. Yeah, I can't remember. No, he might be right, yeah. yeah. Um, um, just going back to James's point there, it, it's a real bugbear of mine, this naming of groups. I, I don't get why they just can't be group one and group two. Like, and this accounts for anything when they do this, and it, it, it's absolutely ludicrous because no one, no one outside of the people naming them ever call them that, and the, and the commentators. Like it, it, it just—it's uh, just infuriating when they go like team I, um, group Agassi, group Sampras. I, I guess to play devil's advocate, no one cares. I the the fans don't care. It makes yeah. no difference. It doesn't confuse anyone. So you might as well like have a cheap PR win that you can shout about at some <laughs> random conference in six months' time, or you know yeah. you can blow some smoke up the Brian brothers, uh, and you know. It, it looks like a thing and you can win an award at some like the drum media agency awards or something. But that, that's, you know, all yeah. I can really of to really, I do agree with you. Like I said, like I said it because I mean it. Um, I do think it's total nonsense, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. George, I'm just, I've managed to find the order of play for Wednesday. Um, and Tuesday, presumably. No, for Wednesday. Um, Wednesday, but yeah, not order, Tuesday. <laughs> But not I've, I've, got tu- I've got Tuesday here. T- tomorrow is Nadal team in the afternoon. It is. There we go. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't I mean, seen that, that but that, that's what I thought might happen, that they might be lent upon by the BBC to put those matches earlier. I mean, they've not managed it on Wednesday because Djokovic-Medvedev is the evening match on Wednesday um, with Zverev Schwartzman in the afternoon. But that's great. Yeah, if you are in the UK, then um, you've obviously got... The afternoon matches on free to air. Am I right in saying the semis and final are on free to air as well? Or again, will that just be afternoon? F- the final certainly is. I think. I think it might be one of the semis. I can't remember to be honest. Well, that's certainly if you're working from home, then I recommend not booking any calls between two o'clock and four o'clock tomorrow because that Nadal 
uh, team match will be very much worth watching. Um, George, if I had to push you for a score and maybe a length of match, since you're in good form. <laughs> um, I, I think team's going to win, to be honest. I've, I saw straight enough then. from him today to believe he's going to win. No, I wouldn't say straight. I'll say he'll win in three. If I was going to give you a match time, and I'm reluctant <laughs> to say this now, because as as I showed earlier, I need like, it's it's five minutes before when I've got a feel for everything that I made my best call. So <laughs> calling it so early is uh, probably not going to come off. Oh, right. Okay, fine. You, the result is good enough for me. Calvin, do you share George's confidence in Dominic's team against Rafa Nadal tomorrow? Um, I'm always wary about picking teams. He, he can be a bit up and down. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, he, he looked good on this court last year. And um, I didn't see his match yesterday. I was travelling, but... Uh, look good again, so yeah, I think he'll be probably beat Nadal, and I think you know George not far off. I can see Nadal going out of that group. Further incentive for team this week, as unlikely as it may seem, is that he can become world number two this week. So if he beats Rafa tomorrow, wins every match from there, and Rafa goes out to Zizibas, which I think is quite a likely scenario. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my house on it, but it's possible. It's- George, then team wins it and he gets world number two, which is great for him. That's, that's an incentive. Has Sitsipas still never beaten Nadal, though? Or has he beaten him now? That's but a good he question. Hadn't, he, had, he hadn't beaten him until... No, he beat, he, him beat in Madrid, him. he beat him in Madrid. He beat him in Madrid semi-finals, didn't he? Because that was the year Djokovic right. and... Sorry, Sitsipas and Djokovic played in the final. And Sitsipas right. played a brilliant match on those quick courts in Madrid, which I was there for. Right. So okay. yeah, that he's certainly been in there. I can't. I can't remember another one. But no, that's the only one. It's five-one to Nadal. <laughs> they played at um, ATP last year, and Nadal beat him in. And, and that was close as well. That was a really yeah. tight match. Um, I, look, you know, it, it's hard to say because this Russian team both weren't one hundred percent coming into this, so they might get found out. But I don't think they'll have any fear facing Rafa on an indoor hard court and. I'd back them both, to be honest. <laughs> Terrific. George, backing as many players as he can possibly find as he <laughs> try and cover himself up a bit. Um, George Calvin, thank you very much for your time. Are we, are we not going to have a, a, a tournament prediction, surely? We're going to go for a one each. Uh, OK. What do you want? A winner of the whole tournament? Yeah, winner of the whole tournament. But the rule is you can't pick someone someone else has picked. So I'll let you go first, James, if you like. Oh, well, then it's easy. I picked Novak Djokovic. Thanks. OK. Calvin? I'll, I'll go last because I, I back myself always to find a way through. <laughs> <laughs> Although I would have taken Djokovic, so I'll, I'll take the record. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Djokovic's going to win it, but let, let's just pretend that I think someone else is going to win it. Um, I, it's, I don't know, because I think amongst the rest of them, sort of Medvedev, team, um, and Nadal, Throw a, throw a blanket over any of those. This is good things. georging. Yeah. This is good yeah. bell-shoring here. I'll you. say, I mean, I'll say team, I think. Oh, for Although, God's sake, this year, guy. But last year, like, you know, nobody would have nobody would have thought that um, City Pass would have won it last year. Nobody would have picked him before the tournament started. Right. George, you're, who, you're left with the rest. Well, again, not to blow up to my bubble of picking too many people at once and never been decisive but I actually think there are five players can, who can win this and one of them is not Nadal so that that's how much on the fence I am this year right. James waved his hands there in excitement <laughs> but yeah. I'd say that's quite a, a bold claim but, yeah but you've got to pick so, one of them now so I'm saying Novak Team Medvedev, Zverev, and Sissipas. Can't allow oh, who I'm choosing between. Will not allow You've taken Djokovic and team. <laughs> I'm going to take Medvedev. Daniil Medvedev. And, and, the, and the big doubles, lads. Who anyone picking? Anyone in the doubles? Joe Salisbury to be year-end world number one. That's who I'm going. See, for I've just there. seen that tomorrow. I'm, I'll definitely be tuning in for the big uh, Kravitz Mize versus Kubot Mello match tomorrow. <laughs> the, 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 the Hollywood tie. I well, mean, the, of course, the, dis- the disappointing thing just... was Jamie, Jamie Murray was in within one match of qualifying uh, with Neil Skutsky and they missed out because I think yeah. uh, Meltzer and Roger Vasselin made it in. I don't know, we should have said Jamie Murray and Neil won their first title last week without playing the final. I mean, that was remarkable. 
because I mean, who, the players who, they were going to play pulled out. And they knew they were playing at the ATP finals. They gave up the chance for a title to just come here, which is certainly must be a first, I'd imagine. That is hugely um, disappointing. But um, good first title for them, I suppose. Yeah. I think it'll take a good pair to beat Pavic and Suarez. I think they are extremely handy. But that's just that's just my opinion, you know. Well, I'm, I'm going for Salisbury and Ram on that side. It's the, the patriot in me going for Joe's rice. If you, I suppose if you don't watch a lot of doubles, it's a nice opportunity to watch a bit of doubles because you won't get better quality, really. It's a quite, quite a quick court bowl accounts as well. So usually, and I know we have our gripes about the format and, you know, champions tie rates, but, um, you know, there, there have already been, of the four doubles matches, there have already been three champions. Three, I tie think. Rates. Yeah. yeah kind of and and it's a good watch for a neutral, I think. Yeah. When you factor in the sun death juice as well, I think that sort of tends to lead to a lot of a lot of tie breaks, sun death yeah. juice and champions tie break. With and, and you know, I'm I'm sort of taking the mitt there, but these guys are all serious doubles players, and sudden death juice, champions tie break, and best of three, it could be any one of the pairs that ends up winning. Yeah, who will win, Group Bob Bryan, Bob Bryan, or Group Mike Bryan? We shall see. Um, we'll be back next Sunday. <laughs> Uh, hopefully at the same time uh, with more complaints either about group names. Calvin, thank you for tuning in and making it back from Crete, traditionally underwater. Um, George, hopefully that moustache will go soon. You love Cheers, it. Cheers. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.